Hi, I'm Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology. I hope you are all doing well during the ever-changing situation in our medical community. Today, I'm pleased to have my guest, Dr. Christine Peskin from the University of Manitoba, who is the Associated Editor for Lupus at the Journal of Rheumatology. She's been interviewed today because she's the author of an editorial entitled Possible Consequences of a Shortage of Hydroxychloroquine for Lupus Patients Amid the COVID-19 Pandemic. This editorial is now available as an open access article at our website at jroom.org. We will be discussing Dr. Peskin's article on the implications of the COVID-19 pandemic for patients with SLE and physicians taking care of these patients. Christine, first of all, I'd like to thank you for writing an excellent editorial discussing the potential implications of the COVID-19 epidemic for patients with SLE and physicians caring for them. I also wanna thank you for joining me and agreeing to discuss your editorial. So if I could ask you please to briefly summarize the issues that you believe are important implications as a result of the coronavirus pandemic to both patients with SLE and physicians. So thanks Earl for inviting me to, to talk about this. There's a lot of things that are coming together for lupus patients and physicians who look after them in this epidemic. First, lupus patients are already thought to be at high risk of poor outcomes with COVID-19 because of their underlying lupus, as well as the immunosuppressive medications that many of them are taking, combined with comorbidity, including organ damage from lupus, such as heart disease, chronic kidney disease, or diabetes that they may have as well. At the same time, medical care is disrupted. We're seeing our patients less often. We're seeing them either by phone or over video instead of in person. Many visits have been, been delayed or deferred and investigations are being deferred as well. Patients are reluctant to come in even when they're sick because they're frightened of attending clinics or labs or for investigations. And now on top of that, we have this possible shortage of hydroxychloroquine. This is a drug that is considered crucial for people with lupus. It's really the only medication that we have that is not immunosuppressive, and it's known to be protective for lupus patients. So now we've got patients concerned and physicians concerned, not just about bad disease and bad outcomes, but worse disease because of this shortage and concern that um, won't be able to access the drug because it's being used to treat other people for COVID-19. Thank you for that good summary. And I hope that wasn't an important phone call. <laughs> I hope not too. <laughs> so I have a few questions to ask you. So in your editorial, you had a very long discussion, an excellent discussion about that the possible shortage of hydroxychloroquine and for those in the audience, I'm going to refer just to hydroxychloroquine because we're Canadian and in Canada at this moment, you can only get hydroxychloroquine and not chloroquine, but of course it would follow with chloroquine also. So you said the result of the shortage as it 
has been advocated by the president of both Brazil and the United States that you should treat and or prevent the SARS-CoV-2 infection with an anti-malarial. You stated it will result in increased worry, anxiety, and illness uncertainty. Could you please discuss a little bit of the significance of this issue and the implications? Sure. So uncertainty, the unpredictability of lupus, is always been one of the hardest parts for patients to cope with. The disease, of course, comes out of the blue, and we don't know why it starts, but by nature, it is a disease that flares and then settles down again, and patients never know what to expect next. When will it flare? How will it flare? And they are always worried in the background about this disruption to their life. Will it interrupt their education, their family life, their career? What's going to happen next? That's a chronic problem for lupus patients and has a huge impact in terms of symptoms and quality of life. And now on top of that, it's magnified by all the concerns that I mentioned about COVID-19, about having a bad outcome, about um, not being able to access the drug, and that is supposed to be stabilizing their disease. And of course, lupus patients share the same worries about job security and income that the entire world is, is concerned about right now. So there's that's a huge increase in background worry for lupus patients. And we are learning that this sort of chronic stress and uncertainty actually can increase anxiety and cause increased disease activity down the road for people with lupus. So there is actually the possibility that we might see increased flares of lupus in the months ahead simply because of increased anxiety and uncertainty about COVID-19 and the hydroxychloroquine in short, shortage without actually having a shortage. And of course, it comes as we're going into spring and summer. And in Canada, at least, we often see flares as spring and summer approach because of increased UV exposure. So that might be happening. I guess we'll have to see. Hopefully, people will be studying this. But a few questions regarding these issues. Um, you mentioned that patients may um, have difficulty obtaining hydroxychloroquine. Have any of your patients said that to you? Yes, we've had quite a few calls to the clinic from worried patients saying they went to the drugstore and could not fill the entire month that they were looking for, um, could only get a few days worth, couldn't get it at all, had to wait. I think that that is improving recent in the last few weeks. Here, at least in Manitoba, this week we had what is called a practice direction stating that any prescribing for hydroxychloroquine in relation to COVID-19 should only be done in the context of a clinical trial. And the week or so prior to that, we had a similar communication from our local regulatory body, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, really telling us that we are not allowed to just prescribe this for ourselves for you know office supply that was being done or randomly for possible COVID. It really needed to be done in, a, in an appropriate setting. And it looks like that is having an impact because I'm getting a lot less of those calls here in clinic, at least I hope so. So along those lines, um, is your center part of any trials? Uh, yes, we are. 
We are. Um, there is. We are part of the trial that I think it's a multi-center Canadian and American trial. It's a pragmatic randomized trial looking at uh, hydroxychloroquine in high-risk people. That's in those who are positive or family members or contacts of positive people or in healthcare workers with high-risk contacts. We're part of that trial and I believe we're also participating in the convalescent sera trial that is uh, just coming up. So um, yeah, we do have ongoing trials here at the center. Well, that's great and I certainly agree with you 100% that prescribing should be restricted to trials for non-rheumatic disease patients or other people already on the drug. Yes. So um, have it, you know, flipping the other way, have it people stopped it? Any of your patients have stopped it? I don't know why, but you never know with people, they want to stop medications during when they're worried. You know, we had that at the beginning, at the very beginning of the uh, COVID outbreak and, and, and such, we had patients phoning all the time, asking if they should stop their medications, including hydroxychloroquine. And, um, you know, we answered no to that. And then it turned around after Trump's comments, of course, it turned around that they couldn't get it. And certainly when I do my virtual follow-ups now, patients are well aware of this touted benefit and they are concerned. Everybody, if they haven't had trouble filling their uh, prescriptions, they're asking about it. The other interesting thing is I've had quite a number of patients who have not filled it in quite a long time and suddenly I'm getting refill requests or they were, we stopped the drug because it wasn't thought needed, you know, years ago and suddenly it's, well, maybe I should start taking it again. So we've had that as well. Yeah, you had commented on one of the potential upsides of yes. this. People are going to take it more regularly. I must admit, I had the same experience when you go back and all of a sudden they say, I, I don't have hydroxychloroquine and you see, well, but no wonder it hasn't been filled for years. Um, last question along those lines is, as you commented on the excellent trials, withdrawal trials showing that certainly patients are at a risk for flaring. Could you comment on your feeling of what the time frame of a flare? Do you have any feel for that? So the time frame is generally thought to be about three months or so, sometimes as long as six. There are also, for those patients who are on quite a low dose, there are some instances where the time frame is less than that. If they're already on a very low dose, it's possible that they're reaching a threshold, you know, in two months or less. So uh, for most patients, though, it's somewhere around three months that uh, we are seeing that. Okay. So I presume then you haven't seen any flares that you were convinced at this point would be related. No, I don't think we've seen anything related to COVID-19. I mean, we've all sadly, I think, seen lots of flares in our careers related to stopping hydroxychloroquine, some of them with very serious and tragic outcomes. So this is a legitimate concern if this were to go forward and if our patients couldn't access the drug. Thank you. Um, well, you really asked, I've already responded to my last question. So do you think there's anything we've missed that you want to highlight for the listeners? 
No, I think the only thing is important is that I'm really glad that the Canadian approach has been to use hydroxychloroquine through clinical trials for COVID, because that's not what's being done in other countries. I mean, my understanding is that it's kind of become standard of care in um, many of the European countries, as well as possibly the States. I'm not quite sure what they're doing there and that they are experiencing very real shortages for lupus patients because of it. And certainly we would here too, if everybody who was a COVID suspect or a COVID patient was getting it. So I'm really glad that Canada is taking the approach that we'll use it through clinical trials, then we'll really know whether it works. And if it does, then that'll give us time to ramp up production so that anybody who needs it can get it. Great. If anybody, for those who are listening, who have to treat lupus patients and be very interested um, in what the policies are in your countries aside from, you know, you know what Canada is basically is, you know what the president said, so I'm not sure whether we're now going to be divided into red and blue states on the use of it as most things are. So I, if any people from other countries, I would encourage if possible, please write a letter to the editor of what is going on in their country. So on that note, I want to talk, thank Dr. Peshkin for what I think was a both fascinating and informative editorial, as well as our conversation to put the implications into perspective. So I ask all the listeners to please read the full-length editorial entitled, Possible Consequences of a Shortage of Hydroxychloroquine for Lupus Patients Amid the COVID-19 Pandemic by Dr. Peshkin. Also want to highlight that we have three our other special editorials about SARS-CoV-2 infection and COVID-19 uh, COVID and its effects and implications for rheumatologists and rheumatology practice. This is available at www.jroom.org backslash search backslash COVID or just type in www.jroom.org. So if you have any questions, concerns, please respond via Twitter at jroom, email us at manuscript at jroom, and I encourage any letters to the editor to be sent into jroom. On that note, I'd like to thank you for joining us, and please continue to follow the guidelines of your regional and national health authorities, and be sure to maintain social distance as we are in conversation. She is in Manitoba, I am in Toronto, and it's, that is pretty far, not by Canadian standards, but by world standards. And I hope everyone stays healthy. Thank you. <laughs>